Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I think we all have these areas of our life that make us feel stressed out or disorganized. And because we're so busy, we rarely stop and say like, wait, am I doing this right? From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. On the show today, I welcome one of my advocate heroes, Aaron Zamet Ruddy, a young adult cancer survivor that I met during the Live Strong days in the early 2000s. This was back when she may have barely crossed the five-year survivor finish line, that's what we called it back then, but she was, and still is, a huge force to be reckoned with. She was a big-time, big-city magazine journalist writing for Glamour when a random asymptomatic diagnosis of chronic, myelogenous, lots of syllables, leukemia, changed everything. She broke the mold, went public, something considered shocking for the time, and began a now-legendary and award-winning column entitled Life with Cancer, making Erin one of the first media cancer celebrities of all time. There's so much to unpack with her, The least of things would be her choice to temporarily quit chemotherapy to become a biological mom, confronting her own sister's cancer diagnosis just two years after her own, maintaining her career, speaking all over the world, raising a shit ton of money for charity. You get the picture. Now a happily thriving 40-something raising three kids and married to the same man who stuck with her during the dark days. Erin's still here and kicking more ass than ever with her new book, The Little Book of Life Skills, Deal With Dinner, Manage Your Email, Make a Graceful Exit, and 152 Other Expert Tricks. Guys, you're going to love this conversation. Enjoy the show. Erin Zamet-Ruddy, welcome to the throwback DeLorean edition of Out of Patience, where we're going to go back in the time machine to the days of yore prior to, I don't know, all the crapness of social media when things were simpler and we just plain old got shitty cancer. Welcome to the show. Thank you. That is quite the introduction. I love it. (laughs) Now, for the (laughs) listeners, you know, we met a million years ago in the Mesozoic era when the word survivorship was kind of just a thing. And this idea of peer support and social support and we care about you as much as we care about your cancer was kind of just not really a thing. And I want to make sure that people listening realize we've come so far from the almost like the black and white TV days of the early 2000s. And as someone who was also diagnosed in his 20s, there's never a good time to get it. But there you were. Congratulations on being 23 with cancer. Yeah, 
exactly. So talk to us. Life before, how'd you find out this was chronic myelogenous multisyllable leukemia? Yes. Uh, I was 23. I was working at Glamour Magazine in New York City, kind of living this very um, cool, I mean, it looked cooler on paper, like living in an apartment in Manhattan, going to parties. I was making zero dollars. I was living on like the parties I would go to, which again, sounds fun. And it was. Um, so I had this very fun up and coming New York City magazine world life going on. And I went in for a checkup feeling totally fine, no symptoms whatsoever. And I went in and they called me back the next day. They had taken some blood. It was just my annual. And the doctor said, I think you need to come right back in right now. And he called me on the phone, which once you have cancer, it's very hard to remember what it was like before when doctors didn't call you on the phone. Right, you know? right, right. Like, right, we all speak to our doctors. I text with my doctors. I email with my doctors. But you know, pre-cancer, when you're just a regular person, like the doctor doesn't call you no. when he needs to recheck your blood, right? It's never so good the, news when he calls you. <laughs> so the fact that this guy called me, I was like, oh no, I guess I better go back in. Anyway, I went back in. Turns out that, you know, my my blood counts were all out of whack. And uh, pretty quickly, fortunately for, for me, this, this guy who was just a, you know, a regular primary care physician knew what he was talking about and, and could, could tell me what he thought it was right away. And I, I went and then went to Sloan Kettering and then went to, you know, Oregon Health and Sciences University in Portland, but pretty quickly found out that I was diagnosed with chronic myelogenous leukemia and that kicked all of that off. And I was 23 and, you know, living a completely normal life, feeling completely normal, had no symptoms. It was, it was very, a very strange way to be diagnosed when you have absolutely no symptoms, nothing wrong with you. Yeah, the no symptom thing is one thing, but did you under? I, I always have this conversation with people that have a blood cancer. Like, do you like they don't use the word cancer in blood cancer? Leukemia doesn't really mean blood cancer. Did you have to ask me like, what the hell is this? I actually, when I was in third grade, had a very completely unrelated, of course, blood condition for like a hot minute, and at that time, I had to have a bone marrow biopsy because they thought it might have been leukemia. So when he started talking about my blood counts and this and infection, but you don't have an infection and why would your white blood cell count be a hundred thousand? And, you know, my mind immediately, I, I immediately was like, oh, I know this is leukemia. You know, I just knew it. And I, I had a friend who at 18 had had uh, ALL. So I kind of had a little bit of a, a basic knowledge um, that what it was. And of course, leukemia is such a weird sounding word, but blood cancer, I think, sounds worse. I mean, yeah, cancer is the yeah. worst word, right? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I pretty quickly knew what it was. But blood cancer just, ugh, and your blood's everywhere, right? That was, the, that was the thing that I had to kind of wrap my head around because it wasn't like it was a tumor that I could have cut out or radiated. You know, it was... How do you get rid of something that's your very, you know, the very thing you need in your entire body? It's one of the rare bonding things between blood cancer people and brain cancer people. Like you can't, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. It's just there. Yeah. Can't get rid of your blood, can't get rid of your brain. It's just nope. there. Nope. This alien yep. body. So so through this lens of young adult cancer, which of course is my universe and, and your universe back then, you were already with boyfriend. And you already had a job and you were already in a place where you had like a sort of sense of structure versus many of us who may have already still been in college or single or living with our parents. That was an odd advantage at the time that you didn't realize you had Nick. I did. Yes, I had a boyfriend um, who was, you know, great. I mean, he was 22. I think I was 23. 
And I mean, we had no idea what we were doing. I still, though, you know, my mom and dad still came with me to my appointments. I was like, you know, it wasn't like Nick was escorting me to all my appointments necessarily. Um, because my parents, you know, you still, when something like that happens, you still kind of lean on your parents, especially as a young adult. And I was fortunate that they lived nearby, but, um, but yeah, I remember years later, Nick told me, and he's now spoiler alert, my husband, we've been married for 15 years and we have three kids. I hope I'm not spoiling anything. Um, but <laughs> it's, all <right>. he... <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Interview over. Yep. Um, but <laughs> But he later told me that my mom, like in those very early weeks, said to him, you know, this is probably going to be a tough road. And I totally understand if you want to, like, hit the road and, and not be a part of this. And he was so insulted. He was like so insulted. And so was I. Nick and I had been together at that time already for like two or three years I think two years, we were solid. Like we were pretty solid. So the fact that, that she said that to him insulted him, but, but some people do it, you know, some people can't, um, you know, it's a, it's hard for a lot of couples. A lot of relationships break up. A lot of people don't make it through and, or they stay together because the, the, the person stayed with them during treatment. So I get it. Um, but for me and Nick, it was non, um, if, if anything, it made our relationship stronger and not because not for what you would think, not because, you know, he helped me through. It was more like cancer made me less of a crazy person. It made me not be such a type A control freak lunatic about life and ambition and goals. I kind of like was like, all right, I guess shit happens and I need to just kind of roll with it for a little while. And that made me, I guess, a better person. I think the fact that your mom uh, sort of took the fall for being the out clause deliverer and spared you that awkward conversation at some point in your relationship with Nick was a good thing to have. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I, 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 she did, she did the, uh, but I mean, for him, I don't know. I, I, I guess, you know, I, sometimes these things happen and I'm like, Oh, I should probably be nicer than Nick. I should probably, yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> do probably... I owe him now? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he was like, it was a non-issue for him. He never even batted an eye about it. So yeah, I guess I should, should be nicer to him. One of the things I've always been fascinated by, because I had stepped into the cancer world years after you started your column about cancer in 2001, but was that the fact that you were willing to be public about it at a time when, I guess, in society, cancer wasn't like the whispers things that it was in the 80s and 90s, but it was a really big step at least from my perspective, that you chose to go very public working for Glamour, but having like this column, the Aaron's Got Cancer column was a really big deal. Did you get a sense that that's what you would bring to the world by doing that? Or was it just like a knee jerk, got to get this out therapy thing? It was just who I am and how I approach all things private and potentially uncomfortable. I have to talk about them and I tell them to as many people as possible. It's just like my way. So I guess there may have been a moment when I was diagnosed where I was like, am I not going to tell people this? But it what didn't last long. I mean, I told my boss, I came back from that second appointment when they rechecked my blood and I was pushing the doctor. I was like, what could it be? What could it be? He's like, I really don't want to say anything. You should come back in two days. Once I have the blood back, bring your parents. And I was like, excuse me. I was like, what do you, what do you think it could be? And then he told me he thinks it could be leukemia. Anyway, I told my boss that very day I was in her office, we were crying and I just, I don't know, I guess it's because I like to control the narrative and I don't really like other people 
guessing how I might be feeling or, or thinking poor Aaron or, or any of that. So I wanted to get ahead of it. And then quickly it became something that was very, very cathartic. And it just enabled me to look at this whole cancer, every, every part of it through the lens of a journalist as well. And it became like a story I was telling and living at the same time, but I didn't realize the impact it had until I guess it was after the first column, which ran in 2002, I got like quote unquote fan mail, but I got a letter from jail and I was like, oh my gosh, like people are reading this. Like you, you know, at that time, like magazines were huge. There's millions and millions of readers and it was really cool. And then to see that I was helping people just by saying like, oh my gosh, like this is what happened just literally just by sharing your story. And you know, this obviously by now with everything you've done, like just saying it, it helps somebody just, it just, so one person says, oh, wow, I'm not alone. Um, so it wasn't that I, what I was writing was all that profound. I think it was the, what was profound is the fact that I was writing it, that I was sharing it so publicly. Um, but again, that's just who I am and it came naturally to me and it doesn't for a lot of people. Um, you know, my sister does not love to talk about her experience too much. She will, but she doesn't, she doesn't thrive on it or, or, you know, find it, uh, find it therapeutic like I do. Right. And I wanted to get to the fact that, you know, it's kind of ironic to say cancer is a disease of the family, but then your sister said, I'm jealous. I'm getting cancer too. In 2003, my God, shock to the system, unexpected another. Was she also asymptomatic? She was not. She was seven months pregnant and had had a rash all over her body, like for much of the pregnancy. And, you know, she'd gone to dermatologists, she'd gone to all these different places, and she didn't really know what it was about. And then she had a lump on her neck. And again, you're, she was 27. So it was like, oh, you pulled a muscle or oh, this or oh, that. And, you know, when you're pregnant, weird things happen. And as we all know, from the young adult cancer world, people love to dismiss young adults who have weird things going on because, you know, oh, you're young, it couldn't be X, Y, or Z. So she had the neck thing biopsied. And that's how they found out it was Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and yeah, it was 18 months after I had been diagnosed. So it was crazy. And, you know, I, I had CML, I have CML and I was able to take Gleevec. So uh, here I am popping a pill, essentially. Melissa gets Hodgkin's lymphoma and has to go through very intense chemo radiation while pregnant, have the baby early. So it was really interesting to see, um, to watch what she was going through. And it, it, it again, just kind of like fueled my fire of like, I need to do whatever I can to, to share my story and to, to let people know that my life is being saved by a pill. I'm sitting here living a normal life, popping a pill while my sister is going, you know, losing her hair, spent, you know, lived in Sloan Kettering for six weeks. And, but it was, it was crazy to have the two of us in one family that close together, that young going through two blood cancers. Yeah, I don't want to understate the fact that, you know, for the listeners, it is 2020 as a, we are recording this particular show. And back then, yes, magazines were kind of all we had to indulge in. Glamour, obviously, a phenomenal lifestyle magazine with a huge legacy. You had millions of people reading. Remember reading, like reading magazines? And you were able to channel all of this to reach millions of people. I love the cancer fan mail. I remember like reading your column, like, I want to know this person. But you really were, and I've heard you referred to as this, like the first literal cancer celebrity that wasn't a celebrity. And you didn't necessarily know what you're getting yourself into because this is innately who you are to be very open about this. But over the years, your column was read by millions of people. 
to the extent that you've been invited to speak and share your story and raise like a fuck ton of awesome money to help incredible organizations do great shit, you know, where are you in the sense of today, married, three kids, you know, 18, by the way, your, your blood cancer can vote right now which is kind of a nice milestone if you think about it. <laughs> my, uh, I, th- I think my tumor can like rent a Hertz car without ID, 25, right? So we're, <laughs> we're in a place to really joke about this, but looking back at that legacy of old school print, really making that dent before the internet, what's your sense of how we communicate today with cancer and people sharing their stories? Because it's almost too easy to do that. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, I, I because of the format, I was able to edit and think and really be careful about what I was putting out there and what I was writing. And so ultimately maybe it was a more, you know, it somehow had like a half each each column I wrote. So I wrote the column for 10 years in the magazine and each column, you know, it it was there were some sad parts and ups and downs, but it generally had like a sense of hope, I think. And I mean, look at, look at what's going on now, even during the pandemic, like this stuff, if I were writing a blog right now, it would be super depressing. You know, I'm not like, like just because I would probably spew constant things. And I think it would maybe be an information overload. And I think I'm grateful that I was diagnosed in a time when there wasn't that I couldn't read every single person's personal uh, blog about their journey with CML because it might've, it might've affected how I you know, came at it from, from my own point of view. Does that make sense? You know, I don't, I don't know. I think it's so nice right now that there's so much information out there, but I think so much information has to be handled, um, has to be handled carefully and you have to really resist the urge to, to read everything. Right. Does that make sense? I don't know. I think, I think the magazines were just kind of lovely and like a nice way to do it. Um, and I, obviously I wrote a blog as well and that was fun. And that I think was more in real time, but I don't know. I'm, I'm very glad that I just like I'm glad I'm not in high school right now with social media, you know, or even middle school. I think coming up when we did was kind of it was just a, it was simpler times. It was simpler times. Back with our guest after the break. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So, Aaron, here we are, years and years later after our skirt with death and what we went through. And we're now, I would say, you know, the the survivor graduates, so to speak. We have families. We have kids. We're adulting, which is a good problem Mm -hmm. to have when you're not dying from cancer, I suppose. You know, now you're in a place you wrote a book. And I'm I like I remember the episode of Sex in the City where Carrie wrote a book and she's in the taxi with the, the taxi. She's like the taxi driver's like, you wrote a book. That's amazing. I'm in the same place. I could never write a book. What inspired you to write a book and what did it take to write a book? Uh, well, I think so. I'm, I've been a magazine writer for 20 years. Right. So I've been writing um, forever. And I my job as a magazine uh, journalist, editor, writer was to reach out to experts, get their get their best tips for you know all sorts of things in, in lifestyle, and bring it to the reader. But when I turned forty, I realized that you know I had the kids, job, house, all of that, like on paper, I was fully adulting, but I still was not moving through my day and my life in an efficient way. I was like constantly shooting from the hip, feeling frazzled, feeling overwhelmed. Um, you know, I think we all have these areas of our life that make us feel stressed out or disorganized. And because we're so busy, we rarely stop and say like, wait, am I doing this right? Anyway, so I had this kind of moment where I was like, what if I just stopped and reached out to all these experts? Because I am certainly no expert. Um, and reached out to all these experts and found out how to do all these little things better. It was basically a, okay, Aaron, it's time to, it's time to, you know, do these things correctly, talk to these people, get their information. But I did not want to have to like overhaul my whole life, right? I didn't want to add anything to my to-do list. Um, so I wanted to get really small, quick how-tos, streamlined, uh, simplified from big time experts. You know, I wanted to talk to Bobby Flay about how to make a big, a great burger, Ariana Huffington about how to take a nap or unplug, Hoda Copy about how to uh, start your day feeling positive. All these little things that I felt like if I could do those little things well, would have a big impact on my day and my life. And so I set out to write this book. My agent and I came up with a proposal that was two years ago. And, um, you know, it, it all it all went off. I just found out they're publishing it in Vietnam. I found that out today. So uh, the book came out in September of 2020. And it's continuing to uh, to be published all over the world, which is really cool. And I'm just basically in the middle of launching a book during a pandemic, which is really fun. Yeah, like, <laughs> Just a pandemic launching a book. So the book is called The Little Book of Life Skills, Deal with Dinner, Manage Your Email, Make a Graceful Exit, and 152 Other Expert Tricks. I need to ask, is one of those tricks teaching your kids to clean up after themselves? Um, Actually, so there's not a ton of parenting, but yes, one of the things is this idea of don't put it down, put it away. 
And it's just a simple mantra. You should try it with your kids this week. Honestly, it's like, instead of kicking your shoes off, put them in the closet. Instead of putting the dish in the sink, put it in the dishwasher. Close the loop. But with kids, the most important thing is making sure everything has a home so that they can put it in its home. So it might might require spending a little time uh, figuring out where all these things go and then having them close that loop. But yeah, don't put it down, put it away. I say it all the time. Ask my kids. It's, um, it's a real, I'm a real treat. <laughs> you know, you may have just entirely changed my entire parenting skill dynamic just with that little, like, I'm going to, that is practical stuff. That is absolutely, that's it's, a, that's a yeah. life skill. I'm going to, you know, that's a little book of life skills kind of thing. I'm going to approve that recommendation. <laughs> Thank you so much. My God. So wait, so you're going around interviewing all these incredibly notable, influential individuals and getting like normal day-to-day life hacks that they would do because they put their pants on just like everyone else, one foot at a time. Absolutely. It was, you know, it starts with how to wake up in the morning and it ends with how to go to bed, how to set yourself up for a good night's sleep. And it's like everything in between broken down into small doable things because I didn't want to get overwhelmed and I didn't want to overwhelm anyone. I knew that like we're all, whether, you know, whatever stage of life we're in, everyone's busy. And this was before we were even in a pandemic, right? Now it's like, Nobody wants to add anything hard to their to-do list. So these are things like, you know, little things that anyone can do, but they have such like, like what I just said, don't put it down, put it away or waking up in the morning and getting out into the sunlight first thing to stop the melatonin drip in your brain. That has changed everything for me wow. because the, that groggy feeling you have in the morning, you, you need blue light to lift it and there's blue light and sunlight. So go outside and you also, this is creepy and crazy. You lose almost a liter of water. Um, in the humidity in your breath at night. So really the first thing you should do when you wake up is drink a glass of water just to get your, you know, your body working again. Did you interview anybody? But it's just little things. Anyone can do that. Did you interview anybody that gave you like the most oddly antithetical, unexpected response? You mentioned Bobby Flay. Like if he told you how to change a tire, would that have been something unexpected? Did that happen? Yeah, that, yes. Yes. No. But the only thing unexpected that Bobby Flay said, we talked about burgers for 45 minutes. That was what was so cool about this book is I was talking to all these experts about the very thing that they are most passionate about, you know, so we got to talk for a long time and then I had to condense it into one page of, you know, step-by-step small tips. Bobby Flay's surprising thing was that he only likes American cheese on burgers. He thinks people go too highbrow with their cheeseburgers and that American cheese is the classic for a reason. It reminds us of our childhood. It melts beautifully and that people should stop trying to, you know, trying too hard with their burgers. They should just use American cheese. Um, but he talked a lot about other stuff. Um, one of the things that I loved was my to-do list, my productivity expert, Nicole Lappin was talking about procrastination. She said, procrastination gets a bad rap, but in order to prioritize your day and to really be productive, you need to procrastinate. And it's about deciding what you're going to push to your list for tomorrow or push it to later or even delete it completely. Like don't put things on your to-do list that you're never going to do because they just taunt you and make you feel bad. Right. So I love that little like tip of like, you know, step one to, to getting shit done is procrastinate, <laughs> you know, so and deciding what it is you have to procrastinate. But yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things in there that, that I learned that I didn't know. I mean, I learned so much. I reference this book every single day. I want to talk to you about that moment I was reading in one of the pieces you wrote, like when you first held it in your hand. I, I wrote some CDs in the 90s and I'm holding them in my hand like, oh, my God, 
I mean, I don't know what beating cancer means, but I this is like my fuck you to cancer. I got these books in my hands. Then, you know, I launched a nonprofit. I'm holding like this 501c3 certificate in my hand. Then whatever, whatever. And then I, you know, my kids like these are way better to hold in your hand than a CD. But you have kids and they have a book. What was it like for you to physically touch this, hold it in your hand and say, I did this? It, I will tell you, is very, very cool. It like, I love it. It makes me very happy. I'm proud of the book, which helps, you know, like when you're doing anything, you know, and music, whatever it is, like you work so hard on it, but you don't really know if it's going to, if you're going to like love it or if you're going to look back and be like, oh, I wish I should have done a cut. Anyway. So I love the book. I got the book. I, I, I hold it in my hand and it's actually, you know, the trim size is pretty small. So it is like, you can hold it in your hand. And um, I'm incredibly proud. I mean, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but you know, the timing of it all has been very strange because I'm not out in the world. Every once in a while, I go into a store with a mask, you know, whatever. And I, I someone might ask me a question and I say, oh yeah, I wrote a book. What's the book? And then they, they're like blown away. And I'm like, oh, can we sell it in our store? Like I just, that just happened to me yesterday. And I, so I miss being out there because you know, getting excited about something like in a vacuum is not as fun as like being out in the world and seeing people and getting to talk to people. So the pandemic book launch has been a little strange, but I have Instagram. Right. <laughs> and hey. Instagram brings me a tremendous amount of joy, I will tell you. And I do, as you you know, you follow me on Instagram and hopefully everyone else will follow me who's listening. I post a lot about my book because it is, it's exciting and it's crazy. And you don't often step back and say, holy shit, I wrote a book. I wrote this book and it's out there and people are writing about it and talking about it. And, you know, so I try to, but it's like with anything, I think, how often do we just sit back and pat ourselves on the back and say, wow, we did a good job. We should do more of that. Certainly. I love the corollary between starting out in print and then winding up on Instagram. It's such an amazing journey of how to do print analog and digital the right way on your terms. And I did want to ask you in terms of like, you know, here we are trying to figure out navigating cancer and almost dying. And now we're figuring out epic life hacks to make life suck less when you're not dying from cancer. How do you square that circle? Do you wake up in the morning and say, oh, my God, what kind of 20 years has this been for me? Yeah, you know, I, um, I someone asked me at my book launch event if having cancer made me want to get my life in order. And if it, if that sort of informed the, this choice of book. And I actually said, I think it was more that I had cancer at such a young age that I was basically like, I'm good. Like that's, that's it. Right. Like that's my, that was my cross to bear. So now I don't also have to learn how to like empty a dishwasher or like fold a fitted sheet. Right. Like I kind of like the adulting piece was like, Oh God, wait, I'm, I'm fine. I'm surviving. I have three kids and a house and a home and a job. Like I still also have to like adult and do all these things. So the cancer card that I played on, you know, on myself for a very long time, giving myself a break on certain things, you know, it's, it's over. You and I, that's, it's our past, right? Like it's been, it's been 19 years for me. So to look back on that sometimes, and when I meet new people, people are amazed. And what's happening now with the book is people are looking into me, you know, as if they're booking me as a guest or if, you know, um, they're Googling me when they buy the book and they're realizing, oh, you're that girl from Glamour magazine. Oh my goodness. I remember your column. I remember this. I remember that. And that has been very cool. So the book 
putting me back in the spotlight. And I, anytime someone says, oh, I read your first book, I, I'm going to buy this. I always say, well, this one's a little more fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like this right. one, We talk about like how to open a bottle of wine, how to make a cheese board. I mean, there's lots of stuff in here, but, um, but we're not talking about cancer too much. So um, it does feel, it feels really cool, right? It feels really like if I could look back on my 23, 24, 25 year old self and say like, don't worry, you're going to, you're going to do all this. You're going to, you're going to pound the pavement and you're going to be that cancer girl who writes and talks about cancer. But someday you're going to be so lucky that you're going to be writing about so many other things that the cancer will be a, you know, a footnote. Oh, she also wrote this book. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it does feel, it does feel very cool, but at the same time, I'm grateful that people are digging up that part of my story because I don't know about you, but I, I like to be reminded of that. I think sometimes we forget and it's a luxury to be able to forget, but I think to be reminded of what, what we went through, what we came through, what we survived, and also how lucky we are is important because when you have kids in a house and a job and all that, you're just like, sometimes you're just putting one, one foot in front of the other, hoping to get to, to bed so you can watch some Netflix before passing out, you know? <laughs> like, so I think it's, it's nice that that part of my history is being kind of brought back up a little bit. Yeah, every now and then someone says, I still have your album. I'm like, you own a CD player? Like, no, I don't, but I still have your album on the shelf. I'm like, oh, thank you very much. Or like, I just downloaded one of your songs from iTunes. And I say, thank you for 16 cents. Enjoy the song. You know, here we are, (laughs) whatever. But you're right. It is a wonderful reminder of how far we've come. And to all the people that are listening to the show that have gone through hell and back and that are happily still here, again, with good problems to have. I mean, I would I would even conjecture to say surviving a pandemic is still better than dying from cancer. So all things in perspective, personally and professionally. One last question for you, and I do want to have a second show because I think you and I could opine on parenting. You write for Parenting Magazine. Through the lens of your being a mom with three children, again, in 2020 during a pandemic, what, if any, has been one or two specific saving life hacks for you to balance all the insanity? Okay. So there's a lot. Pick <laughs> Open two. Open a bottle of wine. Pick no, two. I'm just kidding. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so in addition to the don't put it down, put it away, which is uh, it comes in a lot of handy over around here. I would say the calm down before reacting, which is uh, one of the life skills in the book from David G. He's a meditation expert, and he has this 16-second breath that I highly recommend. And you just you breathe in for whatever you're doing. You're stressed out before you're going to send an email, send a text, deal with your kids, go to dinner, whatever it is. You breathe in for four seconds. You hold the breath for four seconds. You breathe out for four seconds, and you hold the exhale for four seconds. And it just is, it's about interrupting the pattern in your brain and it resets you. And it's just so important to be able to do that. And do I always do it? No. Do I forget sometimes? Yes. <laughs> and just react. But I think, you know, in the, the last nine months, just there's been very little, uh, you know, alone time, private time, like time to have a conversation without being interrupted. So that, that uh, take a deep breath before reacting has been has been really important. And then one just more practical thing that I love is um, sync zero, which is like inbox zero. And this comes from Rachel Hoffman. She's my tidy room expert. 
but she just says like, try to get to sink zero at least one time a day. And I don't know about you, but we were cooking and cleaning and cooking and cleaning like 85 times a day. Like it's insane how much people need to eat. And when you're home during a pandemic, all you want to do is eat, you know, the first six months, I feel like that's all we did. So there was a lot of kitchen cleaning and this idea of sink zero that I, I always say to Nick at the end of the night, I'm like, we have to get to sink zero because if you wake up in the morning and there's even one or two dishes in there, it just compounds throughout the day. And so I think the overall thing that has, that has stuck with me um, during this time is just being considerate of my future self, like doing the hard thing right now, just a little bit so that in the morning or the next day, my future self can wake up to a, uh, to an empty dishwasher and a, and a cleaned out sink. So sink zero, calming breath, cheese boards, opening wine, all of it. <laughs> I use it all. And American cheese only on your cheeseburgers. Yes. And put the thumbprint in. That's a good one to read, but he, he always puts a thumbprint into the burger patty before he cooks it so that it doesn't puff up. And then you have to push the spatula down, which you don't want to do because all the juices run out. So all sorts of little life hacks in the book that are, um, that are more fun than getting your sink to sink zero. But I just love that. I love that idea of, of sink zero. And it's, it's amazing how, how infrequent we get there. <laughs> Aaron Zamet Ruddy, journalist, writer, blogger, speaker, advocate, philanthropist, awesome human being, and author of The Little Book of Life Skills, Deal with Dinner, Manage Your Emails, Make a Graceful Exit, and 152 Other Expert Tricks. Thank you for this amazing reunion and for joining us here on Out of Patience. Thank you so much. This was so fun. I can't wait to come back. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.